0: Who do you think you are? Well, there's a question that you'll find put to people in a whole variety of situations. Some might ask it really earnestly Who do you think you are? Some might be overheard asking it quite angrily Who do you think you are? <laughs> Heard that a few times around Liverpool, haven't you? Who do you think you are? The TV program produced by the BBC, which goes under that same question, presents us with—I'll uh, use the term very loosely—celebrities delving into the recent past in hoping, in hope of, unearthing something uh, a bit juicy from the last few centuries about their family tree. Of course, what's actually happened is a team of researchers have been doing all kinds of spade work for months on end to see if there is anyone who has something remotely interesting and if they find something, they'll invite them onto the program to tell the story. But the question does interest many people, doesn't it? Who do you think you are? And that actually is a a question that the Bible confronts every man and woman and boy and girl with. Who do you think you are? And having posed the question, we discover that the Bible then smashes to pieces all of our assumptions about who we think we are regarding our self-acclaimed greatness. In fact, in the Bible, the question becomes more pointed the question becomes more focused. The question becomes more direct. Whose child are you? Who is your father? The Jewish leaders who are facing down Jesus are totally convinced that their ancestry and their religious traditions all mean that they can count themselves as being children of God and that God is the Father of Israel now amongst the Jews, they don 't really have the notion of God being a personal father to me individually, but the idea of God being God being a father to them as a nation they definitely did have, and that was something that they understood, and it was something that they claimed in terms of personal fatherhood, as we saw in the, in the chapter. They tend to look more to Abraham, the founding father of their nation, as being their father. And they mention it twice as being uh, what they believe is their settled claim as Jewish people. We have Abraham as our father, so everything's fine. Uh, In fact, one of the beliefs that was around at that time was that Abraham was positioned at the gates of hell ready to rescue any Jews who may have found themselves heading in that direction. Abraham would snatch them from the jaws of hell and save them. So, we have Abraham. What more do we need? That's their position. But Jesus is about to reveal that these unbelieving Jews are not who they think they are. And that same reveal is brought to every man and woman, that we're not who we think we are. And so here, first of all, is the unexpected truth. You are not who you think you are. So we see in verse 37, Jesus is quite happy to acknowledge their physical ancestry. Well, he can't deny it. Of course they are descendants of Abraham by birth but you seek to kill me if you were Abraham's children verse 39 if God were your father verse 42 if now what it is that gives away the fact that they are not who they claim to be we'll come to later But for now, what we have to note is that revealed in these verses from the mouth of Christ is the shocking reality that sincere and religious people who come from a long religious heritage can be completely mistaken about their position before God. People who've been blessed with all kinds of religious privileges can be completely mistaken as to who they are. People who use the right kind of religious language And who appear to have the purest religious pedigree can be completely wrong about their standing before God. And these men in front of Jesus are prime examples of that. These men have had the scriptures. And remember that even though they had only had the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures are sufficient to lead a man or woman into true believing faith. Some of you might not realise that. You might think, no, 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 how can you possibly come to that position without the New Testament? But you can. And the evidence is in the Bible. The Holy Holy Scriptures which Timothy learned in his childhood and which were able to make him wise for salvation, 2 Timothy 3.15, which Scriptures were they? They were the Old Testament Scriptures. In Timothy's childhood, the New Testament hadn't been written. The Old Testament was sufficient to make him wise to salvation. Those Scriptures told of a promised Messiah, a promised salvation, which God himself would give. They tell of the need for repentance, and of a broken and a contrite heart, and of the necessity that you love God And that that is the basis of your relationship with him. You love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And looking forward to all that Christ would accomplish as the promised one. They could have saving faith. And many did. But all of that is completely lost on these men that Jesus is talking to today. They have their heritage, their background, their pedigree, their history but it counts for nothing, Jesus says. Jesus' pronouncements on these men is completely in keeping with the truth that was stated by a very heavy-hearted apostle Paul about his fellow Jewish countrymen. And he talks about that in Galatians 3 and in Romans 4. He says more things later on in Romans as well, but just in Galatians 3 and Romans 4 we find Paul Bringing these great truths to, to Jewish people. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham, he says, and are blessed with believing Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, listen to this phrase, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand it's all there in the Old Testament saying in you all the nations shall be blessed that statement and promise made to Abraham was all about the gospel and all from every tribe and tongue and nation who be drawn into the kingdom of God Paul says if you're still under the works of the law what does he mean by that Well, if you think that you can attain righteousness by keeping the law of God perfectly and therefore earning your own salvation by works, if you're still under the works of the law, he says in Galatians 3, you're under the curse. Because it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you want to follow that route of law-keeping for righteousness, you have to keep every single point of every law every day of your life. James chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. There's only one who could ever fulfill the requirements of the law perfectly and completely. And he is the one standing talking to these men. And as believers in Christ, it's his perfect righteousness that has been imputed to you, that you might stand before God righteous as one born again. It's not being children of the flesh. It's not about being blood relatives that makes you a citizen of God's true Israel, Paul says. And Jesus is saying to these men, nor does it make you to be a child of God. The promise given to Abraham regarding the nation that God would establish from him concerns those who will be of like faith with Abraham. Let me just read you a little selection of verses from Romans chapter 4. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. To him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness, not based upon works. We need God to do this grace work in us, for us. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. That's you and me. Therefore it's of faith that it might be according to grace. If you are someone who would claim to be on good terms with God, and when we go on door to door, we often meet people uh, who tell us I've got my own faith, and I'm okay, thank you. Uh, If what you're hoping and clinging onto is anything other than believing in the Lord Jesus Christ through faith, by grace, then you are not who you think you are before the living God. Jesus says to these men, you and I, We have different fathers, verse 38. We don't have the same father. If you were Abraham's children, if God were your father. And he reveals to them, secondly, the chilling truth children of the devil. Across the world's population, there are only two families. There are those who are in God's family, and there are those who are not. There are those who have and know God as their father, and those who do not. There are those who are God's children, and there are those who are not. Those who are of faith, as Jesus talks about faith, and those who are not. Those who are saved and redeemed by Christ, and those who are not. These two families may be seen and known because there are certain traits and characteristics which mark them out, just like any family. The lives of those who live in these two families betray their true identity, and it's on that basis that Jesus says, But you seek to kill me. Verse 37. It's on that basis that Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, if God were your father, we would expect to see this and this and this. But he isn't. That's why we see that and that and that. You seek to kill me, Jesus says, because my word has no place in you. The words that Christ has spoken, and indeed by extension, uh, the word of God generally, the whole of the Bible, has never been able to gain entry into the hearts and minds of these men. It never has become the thing that governs and drives and directs them in their heart and in their soul. The Word of God has never been able to instruct their minds the way it should. And so they remain closed to God's plans and purposes. It's never been able to reach their conscience. It's never been able to bring conviction of sin in them or let them see that this Jesus of Nazareth really is the promised Messiah. And because they remain devoid of the Word of God they are in a position of being firmly set against the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that exactly what we find in people today? Isn't it generally the case that the more ignorant of the Word of God people are, the more opposed to Christ they will be? We're in a situation in the UK... Where well, we've now had several generations in this nation who've grown up almost completely illiterate when it comes to the Bible. They haven't the faintest idea what is in the Bible or what the Bible is about. Never went to church on Sunday, never went to Sunday school, received no Christian education to speak of, not like it was when I was a kid, at school. Unlike in my generation, when I was a young boy, I know I'm going back a few years now, I went to two ordinary state schools. So these weren't Christian schools I'm about to tell you about. In primary school, a scripture lesson was part of the weekly curriculum at school taught by the class teacher. Christian worship took place in assembly every day. At high school, the very very first week I went to comprehensive school, an ordinary comprehensive school, into the hand of every student, two little paperback books were given. A Gideon New Testament and a hymn book. And dare you turn up at assembly without your hymn book so that you could not sing the hymns. It was an ordinary hymn. State run comprehensive school. And what a decline we have seen since then. And as we've seen this decline in Christian input into people's lives, we've seen a corresponding rise in opposition to Christ, opposition to the Word of God in every area of life. And people are still trying to kill off Christ by killing off Christianity. Because, because his word has no place in them. We're not left grasping at straws and wondering why things are the way they are. The Bible tells us why. The word of God has no place in them at all. That is why they are the way they are. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, Jesus says. Abraham, as we've seen very clearly, was marked out primarily as being a man of faith, a man who believed God and a man who acted according to his belief. A man who heard the voice of God, a man to whom God revealed his truth and Abraham accepted the truth, believed the truth, obeyed the truth and followed the truth. He didn't do it perfectly and he tried to take matters into his own hand from time to time but he was a man of belief and faith in all that God had shown him and told him. A man who on occasions had the Lord's messengers come to him personally, Genesis 18 and 19. And if we understand the scriptures correctly, on one occasion it was Christ himself in pre-incarnate form, something we call a theophany, because it records there in Genesis, the Lord is speaking to Abraham. And Jesus says, Abraham didn't try to kill me, don't call yourself children of Abraham. Not what Abraham did. For all your claims, you are nothing like Abraham, says Jesus. Verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but God has sent me to you. They're completely blind to this. Jesus talks a lot about his relationship with his Father in these central chapters in John's Gospel. Particularly as you read on chapters 10 through to kind of 14, 15 and then his prayer that he prays in chapter 17. We learn a huge amount in these central chapters of John about Christ's relationship with his Father in heaven. And he teaches us, doesn't he, that to see Jesus is to see the Father. And to come to Christ is to come to the Father. And you can only come to the Father through Christ. If God was their Father, they would understand and acknowledge who Jesus is. They would recognize this is the Son. How they would love Him if that realization was there. But they have no love for Christ because they are not children of God. They cannot be. But they do have a Father. Because there are only two families in the world. And if you're not part of God's family, you are part of the other one. You do what you've seen with your father, verse 38. You do the deeds of your father, verse 41. And here's the chilling truth revealed in verse 44. You are of your father, and now Jesus says it, the devil. If God is not your father, your father is the devil. If God's word has no place in you, if you are not a man or woman of believing, trust, and faith in God like Abraham was, If you have no love for Christ, then God is not your father. And you are of your father, the devil. And he holds you in his grip of hatred and deceit. And there you have the explanation as to why the world is the way it is today why nations and governments are as they are today. Why society and morality has shifted so radically and so quickly as it has today. Because they are all of their father, the devil. The things that they want to do are the desires of their father. Who are, who, he's a murderer from the beginning. In him is no truth He is a liar and he is the father of lies, and he has wrapped up this world in his web of deceit. He's deceived them completely, and they are lost in that deceit. This is the family to which they belong, and that is how the family lives and behaves. It's a kingdom of darkness, and they prefer the darkness rather than the light. Now, for many people, to speak of such things is probably going to be classed as either, well, it's going to be on the scale from ridiculous to highly offensive. You are of your father, the devil. Ridiculous? How dare you? Somewhere along that scale is how most people are going to respond to this. But it's the teaching of Christ. And it's the truth that the Bible confronts you with. This is who you are. The great thing is, the Bible holds out in the gospel who you can be and what you can become. There is salvation, and there is rescue from that kingdom of darkness. You may be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You can have the old family ties severed completely, and you can be adopted by God, and you can be given the right by Him to become His child and to know Him as your Father. And the gospel is still held open for everybody. And this is the wonder and the glory of the gospel. Why would you not come to Christ if you never have? Why would you not turn your back on that kingdom? And why would you not step into this one? Why would you not receive forgiveness of all of your sins and be set free in that liberty that Christ alone can give you? Why would you not if you're still in the kingdom of darkness this morning? And for those of you who do belong to Christ, it is into that dark kingdom that you will step tomorrow morning. It's into that dark kingdom that the Lord calls you to hold up the light of the gospel every single day. For some of you, it's even in your own families, amongst family members who are still lost in that darkness. And that explains why so very often they will hate and oppose you just like they hated and opposed Christ. Because that is who they are. Because that's their family nature. But grace is held out to them. The gospel is held out to them. And how we must continue to pray, how we need to continue to witness that many more will be drawn in and wonderfully saved. And then finally in these verses, the Lord Jesus shows us the marks of saving truth, children of God. The marks of saving truth, children of God we see this contrast that Jesus presents to us in these verses as he speaks of the opposite sides of the fence on which you stand according to which family you're part of. So in the first instance, we note the condition in which unbelievers find themselves. Unbelievers, verse 43, do not understand because they're not able to listen. When they hear the truth, verses 45 and 46, they do not believe it. And they don't hear because they're not of God, verse 47. And this accords completely, doesn't it, with what Paul says about men and women in their sinful state, in 1 Corinthians 2. They do not receive the Spirit of God because these things just come across as foolishness to them, nor can they know them because these things are spiritually discerned, but they don't have the spiritual life inside of them to be able to believe it. And here's something also important to see from these verses. We tend, as Christians, in seeking to share the gospel with people, this is how we tend to think. Men and women don't believe because they don't understand. Therefore, if I can get them to understand, if I can get them to understand, then they'll believe. Sounds quite reasonable. That sounds very logical. If I can get them to understand then they'll believe. That seems to make perfect sense. But there's one rather big problem. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not say that they don't believe because they don't understand. The Bible says they don't understand because they don't believe. You might want to go away and think that through. You see, when a man or woman is brought to saving faith and to new birth in Christ, as part of that saving and regenerating work that God does within the sinner, their minds are renewed. And with that renewed mind comes understanding. But you understand once you've been brought to faith you don't have to try and work it all out first and then aha I've done it now I can believe because we can't work it all out because it's foolishness to us and we don't want to hear it and we don't want the truth we like the darkness thank you very much God has to burst in with the sh- the sunshine of the gospel and diffuse that quickening ray that brings them from death to life and brings them from foolishness to understanding and with belief and saving faith follows all the understanding How much did any of you understand about Christian doctrine on the day you were converted Some of you were totally ignorant. Did that stop you from being saved? No. But being saved opened your hearts and your minds to Christian doctrine. And it all started to make sense and it all flooded in. Because belief is not the result of understanding. Understanding flows from believing. That's what Jesus is teaching here we need to grab that and understand it in our gospel work. That's why the world of apologetics where Christians stand to give a defense of the faith and of the Bible against the attacks that come, that's why apologetics is generally of far more help and benefit to believers than it is to unbelievers. Because unbelievers can't and don't understand. Believers do. And so apologetics is of far more benefit to believers than it is to unbelievers, because it helps believers to see, yeah, actually, yeah, what I do believe, it, it's good. And, and it is a solid foundation, and it does stand up to scrutiny. And it encourages believers in that regard. People can bring their questions and bring their arguments and there is a defense and there is an answer. And so it's much more of a benefit to Christians than it is to unbelievers. It's good to be able to refute error. It's good to be able to give a reasoned account of the Christian faith in front of unbelievers. But do not make the mistake of thinking that getting people to understand First is a necessary prerequisite to them coming to faith in Christ. Because it isn't. Nor is getting people to understand first a necessary part of gospel work. It isn't necessary. Stand and declare the truth like Jesus did. Jesus tells you, you'll be talking to people who don't understand because they're not able to listen. Who when they hear the truth, they're not able to believe it because they're not of God. So that might leave you thinking, well who then can be saved? Well, what's impossible with men is possible with God. God does it. God breaks in. God changes them, God converts them, God renews them, God opens their eyes, God unstops their ears, God opens up their hearts and does his work. And with saving faith and belief, in floods all the understanding that they're going to start to need. And then we have the contrast with those who are believers and for whom God is their father in closing You seek to kill me, Jesus said to these unbelievers, because my word has no place in you. Now a few months ago we remembered that amongst the great doctrines of the faith are the realities of Christ being in the Christian and the Christian being in Christ. And back in verse 21 of John 8 we heard Jesus say that those who were his true followers are those who abide in his word. And here the clear inference is this that the Word also abides in believers. So you are in Christ, Christ is in you, you abide in the Word, and the Word abides in you. You hide it in your heart so that you might not sin against him. The Word has no place in unbelievers, but in believers it does find a place. That's partly what makes you a believer. It finds and makes an entrance into the heart and the soul. It instructs the mind. It affects the conscience and the intellect the law of God written in your heart so that your thoughts and your desires and your affections are all influenced and changed by the word of God because it's found its place in you. You submit to Christ's word. Your deep desire is to live in obedience to your Lord and your Savior because his word has found its place in you. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, he says. Works play a hugely important role in the life of a Christian. Now, don't misunderstand, they play no role in your salvation. Works play no role in your being saved, they make no contribution whatsoever to your being justified before God. That can only ever be through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. But works must play a huge part in the life of one who has been saved. The Bible says so. Listen to James. Also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead If it hasn't produced something in you, if it hasn't changed you, it isn't faith. Someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works. How can you claim that God has done this great thing in your life and carry on the same? You can't. I will show you my faith by my works. Listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 3. He said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, you wish he'd speak his mind sometimes, wouldn't you? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Show yourselves to be repentant. Demonstrate with the lives that you're living that you are repentant. Don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. There you go again. I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what should we do then? Jesus answered and said to them, if you've got two tunics, give to one who has none. He who has food, do likewise. It, makes, it has to make a difference. The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed to you. Well, of course, they were thieves and cheats and swindlers. Stop it. Change. Be different. This is what we mean when we talk about Works. The soldiers asked him, what shall we do? Don't intimidate anyone or accuse them falsely and be content with your wages because they were taking bribes off people. If you claim to be a child of God, then you will and you must live the kind of life that is fitting for one who is a child of God. Because that is the life that he is reproducing in you. By the Holy Spirit, by his grace. That's what we mean when we talk about the works that we must do as, Christian, as Christians. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. He's done the thing in us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do the works that Christians do to show yourself a child of God. Not to make yourself a child of God, not to try and become a child of God, but to show yourself the child of God that now you have become by his grace. Unbelievers, the children of the devil, verse 41, do the deeds of their father. Believers do the deeds of their father. There's a family likeness that gets maintained. Unbelievers do the deeds of their father, believers do the deeds of their father. You have a family, a family likeness that has to be maintained. You have a father's name and reputation that has to be upheld and honoured and glorified and exalted because you're his children. Verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, then your life is now dominated by and shaped by and moulded by not just God's love for you, but your love for Christ. Isn't it? Your love for Christ flowing out from you, oh, so evident in you day by day, In in the street where you live, in the home where you are, the place where you work, the place where you study. Everyone is thinking, you know, there's just something about that person. There's just something about them that is just different to the rest of us. There is just something, something, something about them that marks them out from me. Because you are a child of God. That's who you are. So in these verses, you can see several key traits of those who would claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this us this morning? The word has found its place in you. The works of God, the works of Christ now flow out from you. The love of Christ now constrains you, compels you, moves you. Who do you think you are? Well, you can examine yourself this morning in the light of God's word and you'll know the answers to that question. There's no one here this morning that can walk out through that door and not know the answers to that question. Who are you? For those of you who know that you're not yet part of God's family, the gates of grace are still wide open and still you may come Whosoever will may come in repentance and faith to Christ and in him be given the right to switch family and become adopted by God as his child. Will you not do that this morning? And if God is your father, you know who you are. So let all the evidence be seen that in you and through you the light and love of Christ may be seen and heard, and men and women will marvel at who you are in Christ and be forced to acknowledge when they look at you only God could have done that.